For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Nothing means not one thing. Not one thing. Not one thing is too hard. Not one thing is too difficult. Not one thing is too trying. Not one thing is too heavy. Not one thing is too big. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Not one thing. And if there's any here who has just just a speck of doubt in their heart about that truth, oh, hear these words from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. You'll find that on page 835 of your church Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please, please take a copy, put your name in it, and receive it as a gift from this church family. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there They will see me. This is God's word. Their names were Mary and Mary. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. uh, Loyal, devoted followers of Jesus. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen the body of Christ peeled off of that Roman cross. They had seen Jesus' body placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They had been there. They would seen it all. And Matthew tells us on that first day of the week, as dawn was approaching, they had gone to see 
the tomb to see the place where Jesus' body lay. Now, Mark's gospel is going to tell us that they went also to finish preparing Christ's body for burial, as was their custom in that day. But Matthew doesn't tell us that. Matthew just tells us that they went to see the tomb, much like you and I would go to a cemetery. Why do we go to cemeteries? We go to see. See and remember the life that once was. And we also go to see and grieve the future that will never be. To see and remember. To see and grieve. That's why we go to our tombs. That's why they went to theirs. Do you know what I mean? You been to a tomb lately? There's more than one kind of tomb, you know. There's the tomb of lifeless dreams. The tomb of a future that will never be. You you thought that your career was going to keep you in town for the rest of your career. You thought that the cancer tests were going to come back negative. You prayed about that. You hoped for that. You thought that your child was going to bury you. You thought that your marriage was going to last till both of you were 93 and one of you would die and then the other would die 30 minutes later. You thought that. Why do I do that? What is that all about anyway, you know? Why do we do that? Why do we loiter around the tomb of, of, of lifeless dreams The problem is we tend to loiter too long and we then let those tombs define us and mark us and stain us and chain us and we can't possibly fathom any other future than the one we wanted but the future that is now dead and in a tomb and we go to see that and we just can't quite figure that out and what is going on and God, why would you let that happen? And on and on and on and soon we find ourselves not just next to the tomb but within that tomb, entombed in a tomb of lifeless dreams from a future that's never going to happen. That's that's where we sometimes find ourselves. And what I want to know is, does God have a word for those who feel entombed in a tomb Of a future that's never going to happen. Does God have a word for us? Does God have a word for those ladies? Oh yes. Yes it's the word. That he gave them. And it's a word. That is for us. Here today. It's in verse 2. It is the word. Here it is. Behold. Behold. Look. See. Those ladies, they did not know that they were walking on to the very first Easter. They thought it was going to be a quiet and solemn and somber memorial, a very introverted experience, but I can assure you it was anything but that. Matthew speaks of earthquakes and rumblings and the appearance of the mighty angel of the Lord. This mighty celestial messenger materialized, came from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Flash of lightning, white array of 
of clothing this angel was adorned with. And my goodness, this mighty angel is then compared with those mighty Roman guards, right? That detachment of battle-hardened, crusty Roman troops who were ready for anything. Not that morning. Verse 4 says, for fear of him, the guards trembled. Trembled. Literally quaked. The same word as the earth quaked. There were two quakes. The earth quaked and then the soldiers quaked. And the Bible says that they became like dead men. I take that to mean they fainted. Uh, The irony is delicious. Really. Listen. The ones who were sent to guard the dead man became like dead men. While the one dead man that they were sent to guard was very much alive. Amen. And the whole thing just is just there's kind of a melodramatic humor to it all. You know, can't you see? Uh, uh, All of the puny human effort that took place to manage the tomb. We're going to have to control and manage the tomb. So the enemies of Christ, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they go to Pontius Pilate and they say, Pontius Pilate, uh, we need you to guard the tomb because the disciples are going to steal the body and then claim a resurrection. Would you please have the tomb guarded? So they go to Pilate. They ask for a guard. They get the guard. The guard gets posted. They open the tomb. They put the body in the tomb. They close the door with the stone. They seal the stone. And then they post the guard and on and on and on. All of this tomb management. And then... All of it undone with the flash of a lightning as that angel appears. That mighty fierce angel appears and and just kind of twirls that stone away with his finger, right? And then what happened? What does the Bible say happened after the angel twirled the stone away like you and I twirl a baton, twirling that stone away? What happened? What's the angel sat on it? Isn't that funny? Can you just see that angel sitting on top of that stone with his feet dangling down, gawking at those guards? Boo! And then, you know, he just kind of smiles and leans back. And I'll bet he does some triceps just to show off. Tricep dips. Angelic celestial tricep dips. So they have body pump in heaven. Oh, my. And after the angel had finished off the guards, the angel spoke to the women. And what the angel said was a command That is the most repeated command in all of the Bible. You know what the most repeated command in all the Bible is? Appears over 200 times. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. It's the most repeated command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Now, sometimes fear is good. A fear can keep us awake. Fear can keep us humble. Fear can keep us ready. Fear can keep us alert. Fear can be good. But you know what? Fear can also be bossy. Fear can also paralyze us. Fear can also chain us, trap us, entomb us. Fear. The angel said, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus, the crucified. Verse 6. He is not here. Literally, verse 6. He has been raised. As he said. He has been raised. Those ladies thought that they were going to spend a little time in solemn tears around the tomb of a dead dream. But that mighty angel appeared and gave them what the angel gives us today. The angel gave them a command and a commission. A command and a commission. The command, come and see. The commission, go and tell. Let's talk about those for just a minute. First, the command. Come and see. Come and see. Verse 6 says, come and see the place where he lay. And right there, I finally figured out why the angel moved the stone. I'd always thought that the angel had moved the stone to let Jesus out. But now that doesn't make much sense. Because in John's gospel, John chapter 1 begins, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says, All things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything made that was made. So, it's like Jesus spoke worlds into existence. And yet, He needed an angel to hold the door open for Him? I don't think so. No. Matthew tells us, That the reason why the angel moved the stone was not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. So that we could see. Come and see. See. Matthew uses that word six times in these ten verses. Look, behold, see. Six times. Matthew wants us to know these are not Cleverly invented stories. This is not mythology. The Christian faith rises or falls on the resurrection of the Son of God. And Matthew wants us to know that our faith rests on irrefutable evidence. Irrefutable evidence. Five irrefutable Indisputable historical facts that lead a rational thinking person to the conclusion that Jesus, the Son of God, was raised from the dead. Historical fact number one. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified to the death. That's a historical fact. Non-Christians attest to that. Historical fact number two. The body of Christ after he died by crucifixion, was placed in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. Nobody disputes that either. Historical fact number three. On the third day, on the third day, the tomb was empty and the body was nowhere to be found in the tomb. It was empty. Nobody disputes that either. Historical fact number four. Individuals 
in groups in either two or three or 12 or 500 at one time. Testify to having experienced a live appearance by Jesus of Nazareth in which he appeared to be resurrected from the dead. They're not talking about an apparition. They're not talking about a dream. They're not talking about a vision. They're talking about a bodily appearance by this same Jesus of Nazareth. And the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 saw him at one time, most of whom are still alive. As if Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, you go ask them. Historical fact number five, evidence number five, changed lives. The trajectory and the direction of the lives of those disciples, they were forever changed by this news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And they took this news over the course of 30 years across the Roman Empire uh, a territory roughly the size of the continental United States before email and internet. They just gossiped this gospel from city to city all over so that 30 years later, within 30 years, the gospel had penetrated the uttermost parts of the known world. Five irrefutable historical Evidences that lead a rational thinking. What else could we conclude? That this Jesus who was crucified has been raised. Listen to me church family. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is a decision based on evidence. And Matthew gives us the evidence. In Matthew 28. 1 through 10. And he strategically places the truth of what happened adjacent to the myth that was later told by those very same guards who were bribed to say that the body had been stolen. Verses 11 through 15. And oh, if this gets to the governor's ears because sleeping on duty back then was a capital punishment for the military. We'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And Matthew says, and that fake story is still being spread among the Jews to this day. See, Matthew gives the truth and Matthew gives the myth. And then Matthew looks the reader in the eye and says, now you're going to have to decide what will your decision be? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. That's the command. But they were also given a commission, right? Go and tell. Go and tell. Verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you six times, Matthew says in these verses. See, look. Behold, you, you, you see what's going on here? Matthew tells us that God has entrusted the greatest news. The first to tell the greatest news were these humble, marginalized women who in their culture were not even allowed to testify in open court. My goodness. They were privileged 
to be the first to share the news of the resurrection of the Son of God. I love the scholar who says that these ladies were, here it is, apostles to the apostles. They were the first to share the news. And off they ran. Verse 8. Off they ran quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. It's like, oh my goodness, this, I mean, I I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to talk about it. And they ran to tell his disciples. And it's as if Jesus was going, I'm not going to wait till Galilee. I'm just going to surprise him right now. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. I, I love that pastor who tells a story about how he met with a group of uh, kindergartners uh, talking about the resurrection and said to the boys and girls, there are now boys and girls, can anybody tell me what Jesus' first words were when he was raised from the dead? What did he say to his disciples? Very first words. One little girl waved her hand up and said, Pastor, I know, I know, I know. That's said, what? She said, Jesus said, Ta-da! <laughs> Well, that's pretty close. (laughs) Greetings. Greetings. And those ladies came up. Took a hold of his feet. And worshipped him. Now, hear me. The last people in the first century. On the face of the earth. To be caught. Worshipping. A human being, the last people, would be orthodox, monotheistic Hebrews. Last people. And yet, and yet, God had come in the flesh. They realized that Jesus was not just 100% human, but he was 100% God. And they worshipped him. And Jesus repeated what the angel had said. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Why Galilee? Because that's, that's where it all began with them. That's where the training began. And in the resurrection of the Son of God. God was not just trying to show that Jesus was a special person or most favored person. He wasn't just trying to... In the resurrection of the Son of God, God was fulfilling His promise to recreate the new heavens and the new earth beginning with His Son. And so, His disciples became resurrection communities. Just as God had said, let there be life in Genesis In the resurrection of Jesus, God was saying again and again, let there be life. The resurrection is the reversal of death. The resurrection is the undoing of death. The resurrection is the death of death. You go and you tell my brothers, my brothers, which brothers? The brothers who had, whom he had selected. The brothers who had heard him teach. The brothers who had witnessed the miracles. The brothers who had denied him. 
The brothers who had abandoned him. The brothers who themselves at that very moment were entombed in a tomb of fear, chained inside, not knowing what to do. Those brothers. You go tell them. Tell them what? Tell them, where were you? No. Why did you abandon me? No. How, how could you let me do? No, none of that. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. You see, the resurrection gives us hope for grace. There's no life too broken, too messed up, too undone that God can't touch and heal and give grace and give a future beyond what you could ever even imagine. Come and see Go and tell. Go tell that he is risen. And there's hope. Hope for grace. Hope for forgiveness. Hope for a future. Free. Because of Jesus. That's good news. Amen. So John Zoll. John Zoll is a pastor. And... He tells a wonderful story about this kind of grace that I want you to hear. He tells about a friend of his who happened to be an owner of a very high-end department store. And John Zoll said, this friend and owner gave me a very generous gift certificate. So I go to use this gift certificate and he met me at his store. And he walked with me as I selected a sports coat and a dress shirt and a pair of shoes John Zoll says, I made sure to look at each of the price tags on the slide so that I could overshoot the gift certificate enough to put some cash back into the store's register, thereby showing my gratitude for his generosity. So John Zoll says, I got to the cash register and I put my wallet on the counter and I got out my credit card, but he placed the gift certificate in front of me and said, well, John, it it looks like you've only spent a little more than half of your credit with us. John Saul says, well, I was shocked. I mean, uh, I was shocked. I mean, I've gotten some pretty expensive items of clothing there. I mean, uh, and then John Saul says, I realized, okay, he was only really charging me about half of the ticket price. I mean, he was only charging me the wholesale price, not the retail price. And so that meant I was still in his debt. So John Saul says, a few weeks later, I returned with my wife. Determined to show my appreciation by overspending the gift certificate. And so after we got all of our clothing and accessory, we approached the counter with a unified front and with huge armloads of stuff, high-end stuff, clothing and goodies. I handed my friend the gift certificate. He took the gift certificate in his hand. He started ringing up the purchases into the register. Finally, when the bags were full, he turned to us and said, John, you're not going to believe this, but I've rung everything up and the total comes to exactly zero. We protested, that can't be right. The total should be well above what was left on our store credit. Now, come on. And then the owner said something. He said, John, I don't think you understand how this gift certificate works. No matter what you throw at it, the total will always read zero. And we finally understood the arrangement. 
in our attempts to buy our way out of the debt, we had completely missed the value of the gift which this generous man took such joy in bestowing upon us. He is risen. Come and see. Go and tell. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He is risen for you. Come and see. Go. Oh God, who for our redemption you gave your only begotten Son to the death of the cross and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the power of our enemy, grant us so to die daily so that we may evermore live with him in the joy of Of his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ. Your son. Our Lord. Who lives and reigns with you. And the Holy Spirit. One God. Forevermore. And the church said. Amen.